powder coating fans, and welcome to the maiden voyage of the Ask Joe Powder podcast. Thanks for taking time to be with us. I'm your host, Joe Powder, a.k.a. Kevin Biller, and with me is my esteemed colleague and sidekick, Nathan. He's our resident powder coating formulator dude. What's up, everybody? We're broadcasting to you from the Powder Coating Research Group studios in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. As we get this rolling, I want to share with you what this podcast is about and how this whole Ask Joe Powder thing got started. The genesis of Joe Powder goes back about 16 years when I was working as a VP and general manager of a small custom powder coating manufacturer. We wanted to promote our products and capability with a quarterly newsletter, including a Q&A about powder coating technology. My boss at the time suggested, why don't we call it Ask Kevin? I felt that was a little too pedestrian and countered with, let's go with the mythical maven. We'll call him Joe Powder. We both agreed, and voila, Ask Joe Powder was born. Since then, the column has been regularly published in a number of forms, including Powder Coated Tough Magazine, Polymers Paint and Colors Journal, Asia Pacific Coatings Journal, Finishing Today Magazine, Paint India, RIP Vivek, BNP's Finishing Flash, and most recently, Shimi Pushesh Kala in Iran. Yeah, so we're launching this Ask Joe Powder podcast to bring news and technical know-how to the global powder coating community. Uh, we're still ironing out the format, but the plan is to include a news segment calling Guess What? And then What Gets Me Mad, where Kevin gets to rant about everything that's going on in the industry. And then the meat of the program is having Joe Powder answer your questions on powder coating technology. So let's get rolling. Okay, powder coating fans. There's a lot of breaking news in the powder coating world. Earlier this year, I reported on a new ruling by the European Union regarding health hazards associated with titanium dioxide. As I had mentioned, the EU had classified respirable particles of TiO2 as a Category 2 H351 carcinogen. The 351 refers to an inhalation hazard. Specifically, this involved particles that were 10 microns or less in diameter, which is essentially all pigmentary forms of titanium dioxide. The other thing I noted was that TiO2 is the most common pigment used in powder coatings. I estimate that about 60 to 70 percent of all powders contain at least 1 percent of TiO2. Initially, this ruling appeared to apply to only free TiO2, which when you think about it, that would only affect workers who are involved with handling pure TiO2 in the production of coatings and, and maybe other products such as paper, printing inks, cosmetics, and, and believe it or not, food products. Since then, it looks like this regulation also includes powder coatings which contain greater than 1% TiO2 and have 
particles smaller than 10 microns. All right, so it's not just the titanium dioxide that's less than 10 microns, but also powder coatings that are less than 10 microns that have titanium dioxide in them? Yeah, yeah, Nate, this is a uh, good point. Um, it looks like it has to do with aerodynamic particles, and they classify those as less than 10 microns. So any particle less than 10 microns that contains titanium dioxide is considered part of this ruling and, and will require that labeling. Now, to keep that in, in, in perspective, this only applies to the labeling of powder coatings manufactured and sold in the European Union. But to put this in perspective, all conventionally manufactured powder coatings have at least 1% concentration of particles less than 10 microns in diameter. In fact, it's, it's usually much higher than that. From four to maybe up upwards is eight percent of uh, of the material by weight is less than ten microns. So on the short term, the global powder coating producers are scrambling to get new labeling in place before the deadline, which is expected to be in eighteen months. More important is the need to develop information packets for their customers who are applicators of powder coatings, and also to establish training programs, not only for their own operators, but for their customers as well. From a practical standpoint, I don't expect the U.S. EPA to, to follow quickly with some knee-jerk reaction and implement similar regulations, but, you know, it could happen eventually. Nor do I see the people in California adding powder coatings to Proposition 65 Nevertheless, global powder suppliers, they're faced with revamping their labeling and their safety data sheets and all the training, uh, which is creating a costly and time-consuming headache. The irony of this unforeseen development is palpable. We're taking the cleanest, greenest industrial coating technology with arguably the best film performance, and now considering it a health hazard, mainly to its form rather than its composition. So powder coating fans, we'll keep you up to date on this. Uh, we'll let you know how it unfolds in our future powder coating uh, broadcasts. Yeah, and then uh, more positive news, uh, Sherwin-Williams has announced their plans to erect a new business headquarters and research center outside of Cleveland. They've actually been in Cleveland since 1866, but they're building a new state-of-the-art, um, you know, million square feet of offices, 500,000 square feet of research and development space, and uh, they're expecting to host about 3,500 employees there. All right, that brings us to our next segment, which is what gets me mad. Okay, thanks, Nate. Um, you know what? Not a month goes by in which I don't stumble upon some nonsense of a poorly researched market report, which is offered by some quote-unquote expert market research firm. Just in the last month, I found these spurious proclamations. Powder coating is the most used surface finishing technique. Okay, no. Sorry, guys. It only represents about 12 to 18% of the industrial coatings that are used 
globally. Epoxies are preferred for their overall physical properties. Yeah, okay. Epoxies are good coatings. In fact, they're great coatings. But really, they only represent 14% of the overall powder coating market. Europe leads the market with a majority market share of more than 30%. Okay. Now, that just doesn't make sense as a statement. A majority share is not going to be 30%. But uh, the European powder market, I estimate to be about between 19 and 20%, which, again, is obviously not a majority share. Uh, our, our estimates kind of place Asia-Pacific as having the majority share, which clocks in somewhere around 59% of the global market. Consistent expansion of global powder coatings industry share can be observed through the rise in research and innovations undertaken by leading market players such as BASF. Okay. BASF's a great company. Incredible technology. And yes, they, they do have an industrial coatings division, but no, they do not produce powder coatings. So they don't even have a powder coating division, so it doesn't make sense that they would be a leading market player. International organizations such as WHO and the United Nations are propelling the growth of powder coatings by forming global initiatives that aim to eliminate lead-painted products. <laughs> yep, great stuff. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, the Powder Coating Research Group uh, is a partner in these endeavors. But let's face it, fans, uh, liquid paints can be formulated without lead. They're replacing plenty of uh, lead-based paints as well as some of the powder coating. The bottom line, my friends, just be wary of slick marketers who claim they are experts at predicting the future of the powder coating industry. These charlatans know, I put that in quotes, the powder coating market by what they read from other misinformed market research peers, and it only propagates these distortions. So you're saying it's like bad information, Compounded on bad information multiplied by worse information. Yeah. All right. Well, enough of the negative uh, nattering. And let's uh, let's get on to our Q&A portion of the program. All right. Our first question comes from Dino in Cincinnati, Ohio. He says, Hi, Joe. Hope all is well. Can you tell me which matting agents are typically used in powder coatings, if any? Talc, diatomaceous earth, silicas, waxes, etc. are used in liquid coatings. But are any of these used in powder coatings also used to achieve matting? Or is matting in powder coatings primarily achieved through high filler to polymer ratio and using coarser grade particles? Oh, well, Dino, how you doing? Hope all is well in your world. You ask a broad question and there are numerous answers to this. I'm just going to go over a few of them. Okay, large particle size fillers are commonly used in most powder coating chemistries. This technique is good to a point until higher levels create an issue with texture. In addition, there's a limit to how much can be incorporated into a coating that has a high level of color and pigment, such as a white or a yellow. The other thing that's important is the particle size distribution of the filler has to have a fairly good level of control. And by that I mean 
should have nothing greater than 44 microns. And one last thing, the oil absorption of these filler pigments has to be on the low side. Now, waxes are used as well. However, and, and this will really shock you, too high a concentration gives a waxy surface. Surprise there, huh? And some waxes can degrade UV durability. So you got to watch using waxes. What's really kind of unique and fairly common in the powder coating world is the use of differential cure. And let me let me try to explain this. Um, each chemistry has a unique technique. Like, for instance, epoxies, um, they commonly use a blend of a polyanhydride material and an imidazole catalyst. Um, powder coating formulators would know this as the B68 technology. Uh, with polyurethane chemistry, it's common to use two different hydroxyl functional polyesters, one with a high OH number and one with a low OH number. Um, on the other hand, um, non-TGIC type coatings, um, it's common to use a combination of two polyesters with highly different carboxyl or acid values. So those are kind of the differential cure approach. Kind of taking uh, that same kind of tack in Europe especially, it's common to produce two different powder coatings that have significantly different reactivity and then dry blend them uh, post-extrusion. Now, one of my favorite techniques, and this is a way you can get some really good-looking matte finishes, is to use incompatible resins. One of the more common techniques is uh, using a carboxyl polyester resin which is incompatible with a GMA acrylic resin. It gives you a nice smooth matte finish. All right. Is it possible to use more than one technique um, for getting an even lower gloss? Yeah. You know, these techniques work pretty well and they get you kind of into a lower gloss range. However, when you have to get into what you might call low gloss, which heck, I, I think you could say like 20 gloss units or less, uh, certainly less than 10, 10 gloss units. Uh, it's quite common to combine these techniques to get the right balance of uh, appearance and, and gloss. Um, the other thing I guess I want to mention, you said something about techniques that are used with liquid coatings. Fume silicas and silica gels don't work so well in powder coatings because they typically have high oil absorption, and that high oil absorption causes a uh, a texture long before we kind of see the gloss reduction you might see in a liquid coating. So, so Dino, I hope this helps, and I hope that you and your loved ones stay safe and stay healthy. Best regards, Joe Powder. Our next question is from Claudia in Medellin, Colombia. She says, Hi, Joe. I'm selling powder coatings in South America. I have many questions, but... Can powder coatings be used past the expiration date given by the supplier? Great question, Claudia. Um, and, you know, i got to tell you, I've traveled and worked in Colombia, and I have some very fond memories of my time spent there. Really nice people. I uh, enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the culture. I enjoyed I, most of all the food. Um, 
But let's let's get on to your question. The stability of a powder coating is influenced by many factors. And let me differentiate uh, between different types of stability. Uh, one type of stability we can call physical stability, and it involves the resistance of particles uh, to clump or stick together. So physical stability has to do with the resistance of clumping. Um, on the other hand, chemical stability refers to a powder coating's resistance to premature polymerization or reaction during storage and handling conditions. So physical stability is influenced by the melt point or more specifically, the glass transition temperature of the powder coating, and going hand-in-hand hand with that would be the storage conditions. So, a powder coating with a low melt point, or low T sub G, will sinter and clump more readily than one with a higher melt point. Accordingly, powder stored in high-temperature environments will clump more readily than those stored in cooler conditions. In addition, powder coatings exposed to high humidity environments tend to absorb moisture, which can also cause clumping. The problem with clumping, obviously, makes the powder coating difficult to fluidize, make it hard for it to transport through the hoses, and, and ultimate through the spray guns in your application system. So let's talk about chemical instability uh, next. And basically what we're talking about here is the tendency of a product to chemically advance or begin polymerization in storage conditions. Fast reacting and low temperature curing powder coatings can start to polymerize, especially when they're in, in warmer or high temperature storage conditions. What happens with this premature chemical advancement, the melt flow of the powder coating is reduced and this results into a more textured finish. So, Consequently, low temperature cure or fast cure powder coatings are more susceptible to problems with physical storage stability. What we like to recommend is keeping your transport conditions and your storage conditions to 27 degrees Celsius or lower, uh, which is that's about 75, 77 degrees Fahrenheit, and to keep the the relative humidity below 70%. Okay, so to answer your question, standard curing powder coatings that have been stored in a reasonable environment can remain usable past their due dates. Here's what I would recommend. I would inspect the powder coating uh, for clumps, uh, for sintering, uh, and then spray, I don't know, a test panel or a small part and, and take a look at the, the, the finish yourself. If the finish still meets your appearance requirements uh, for smoothness, appearance, uh, then I would continue to use it. So, Claudia, I hope this helps you. Someday I hope to return to your fine country of Colombia to enjoy the beautiful weather, the excellent food, and the wonderful people. Take care. Joe Powder. And before we wrap up, we'll fill you in on some of the upcoming events. And uh, due to the global outbreak that's been going on, basically all the major shows have been postponed, 
or canceled. Um, here we have the American Coding Show. It's been rescheduled to August 10th through 12th, Indianapolis. The Middle East Coding Show in Dubai has been postponed. Uh, no new date on that yet. The Paint Expo rescheduled for October 12th through 15th um, in Karlsruhe. And the Powder and Bulk Solids Conference and Exhibition has been postponed to October 6th through 8th in uh, Rosemont, Illinois. Okay, powder coating fans, that kind of wraps it up for this podcast. Uh, we'd like you to tune in next time when we're going to be tackling pre-treating difficult substrates. I think we're going to key in on stainless steel. We're also going to delve into the mystery of an unknown snow that showed up in a job coder's oven. You can catch up with us in the meantime. You can always send your questions to askjoepowder at yahoo.com or you can leave a voicemail at country code one four seven eight two ask joe which is one four seven eight two two seven five five six three and you can find ask joe powder and uh powder coated tough uh ppcj BNP's finishing flash newsletter and now in Iran and uh, soon Turkey. Okay, we'd like to thank the Powder Coating Research Group to allowing us to use their studio. Original music editing is done by Nick Page. I've been Nathan uh, with Kevin, a.k.a. Joe Powder. Uh, be excellent to each other. Keep your powder dry.